When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Jesse, and you're listening to Clinical Pearls. The effects of interstitial cystitis, or painful bladder syndrome, on psychosocial functioning and quality of life are pervasive and insidious, damaging work life, psychological well-being, personal relationships, and general health. There's been a lot of new data regarding this condition and some historical information has been deleted. For example, potassium installation into the bladder is no longer recommended. That diagnostic test, occasionally still referenced in some gynecological texts, can cause exquisite pain if the bladder is acutely inflamed. Therefore, that is no longer considered a diagnostic tool. Additionally, options for treatment are now quite varied and include from first-line to sixth-line options. This is a part one episode covering the pathophysiology, the clinical presentation, and the diagnostics, including physical exam and ancillary testing. We will leave the various treatment options for part two of this two-part series. Let's get started covering interstitial cystitis or the painful bladder syndrome now. The American Urological Association, or the AUA, has revised its clinical guidelines regarding interstitial cystitis, also known as the bladder pain syndrome. According to the AUA, these guidelines are provided in order to give direction to clinicians and patients regarding how to recognize the condition as well as conduct a valid diagnostic process. Additionally, its goal is to aid with a valid approach to treatment with the goal of maximizing symptom control and improving patient quality of life while minimizing adverse events and patient burden. Now, let's focus on the revised definition of interstitial cystitis. Interstitial cystitis or bladder pain syndrome in this podcast, as it is throughout the medical literature, will be used interchangeably to mean the same condition. Interstitial cystitis comprises a part of the complex bladder pain spectrum. Now, the AUA has agreed and adopted the IC definition agreed upon by the Society for Urodynamics and Female Urology. Here is that definition. An unpleasant sensation, either pain, pressure, or discomfort perceived to be related to the urinary bladder with associated lower urinary tract symptoms of more than six weeks duration, 
These occur in the absence of infection or other identifiable causes. Now, this definition was selected because it allows treatment to begin after a relatively short symptomatic period, preventing treatment delay that could occur with previous definitions that required longer symptom duration, like three or six months. Now, finding a true prevalence or epidemiology can be difficult since there is no objective marker to establish the presence of interstitial cystitis. Studies to define its prevalence are difficult to conduct. Now, what is known about this condition is that it tends to be more frequent in women and is more likely to occur as a comorbidity in those with other chronic pain syndromes. We'll get into that a little bit more in the podcast. Okay, now here's the first of the clinical pearls. It's not known whether interstitial cystitis is a primary bladder disorder or whether the bladder symptoms are a secondary phenomenon resulting from another cause. Converging data from several sources suggest, however, that IC can be conceptualized as a bladder pain disorder that is often associated with voiding symptomatology and other systemic chronic pain disorders. Specifically, IC may be a bladder disorder that is part of a more generalized systemic disorder, at least in a subset of patients. Once again, we're going to talk about this a little bit more as the podcast advances. Okay, we've got lots more to cover, including clinical presentation and, of course, diagnostic workup. Let's do that next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Regarding possible etiology, data has noted among chronic pelvic pain patients that other chronic pain disorders like interstitial cystitis, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome, and fibromyalgia tend to co-occur. It has been suggested that there might be a common central pathogenesis and pathophysiology of these chronic pain disorders. Considering these data, it has been suggested that the painful bladder syndrome is a member of a family of hypersensitivity disorders which affects the bladder and other somatic or visceral organs, and this can have many overlapping symptoms and pathophysiology. Historically, the condition was thought to be a defect in the glycosaminoglycan layer over the bladder mucosa, causing sensitivity to urine solutes. However, while this may be a factor, it is definitely now considered more of a chronic pain syndrome other than just a mucosal barrier defect. What about the symptoms of interstitial cystitis? Well, pain, including sensations of pressure and discomfort, is the hallmark symptom of interstitial cystitis or the bladder pain syndrome. 
Typically, I see patients report not only suprapubic pain or pressure or discomfort related to bladder filling, but pain throughout the entire pelvis, like the urethra, the vulva, vagina, and even the rectum. It can also have extra genital locations, like the lower abdomen and even the lower back. The prototypical IC patient may also present with marked urinary urgency and frequency, but because these symptoms may indicate other disorders, they do not exclusively indicate the presence of IC. Voiding frequency is almost universal. Again, so that's a clinical pearl. Outside of pain, voiding frequency is almost universal. Urinary urgency is also extremely common. Let's talk about the diagnostic approach to IC next. The diagnosis of IC can be challenging. Patients present with a wide spectrum of symptoms, physical exam findings, and clinical test responses. The AUA notes that classifying the patient's symptoms as high sensitivity and high specificity symptoms is helpful to make the clinical diagnosis. High sensitivity symptoms include pain, pressure, or discomfort in the pelvic area, and daytime urinary frequency of 10 times or more. Additionally, urgency due to pain, pressure, or discomfort may be present. The following additional symptoms increase the specificity of the clinical diagnosis of IC. These include that symptoms did not resolve after treatment with antibiotics and no treatment with hormone injection therapy for endometriosis has occurred. In other words, a gynecological interpretation or gynecological assessment has not pointed towards endometriosis. In terms of the history, a history of a recent culture-proven UTI can be identified on presentation in about 18 to 36% of women, although subsequent cultures end up being negative. Initially, it's not uncommon for patients to report a single symptom like dysuria, frequency, or pain with subsequent progression to multiple symptoms. Symptom flares, during which symptoms suddenly intensify for several hours, days, or weeks, are not uncommon. There is a high rate of prior pelvic surgery, especially hysterectomy, and levator ani pain in women with IC, suggesting that trauma or other local factors may contribute to IC symptoms. Now, here's a clinical pearl, and this is very important to note, that the high incidence of other procedures like hysterectomy or laparoscopy may be the result of a missed diagnosis and does not necessarily indicate that the surgical procedure itself is a contributing factor to symptoms. Okay, everybody, here's another clinical pearl. IC is most commonly diagnosed in the fourth decade or after, although the diagnosis may be delayed depending upon the index of suspicion for the disease and the criteria used to diagnose it. So once again, it's not impossible to have interstitial cystitis in the 20s or 30s. It's just most common, according to the AUA, in the fourth decade or after. 
Now, the basic assessment should include a careful history, physical exam, and lab examination to document symptoms and signs that characterize IC and exclude other disorders that could be the cause of the patient's symptoms. So remember, it's important and vital to rule out overt infection like gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomonas, or other known causes of pelvic pain, and a pelvic ultrasound may or may not be indicated based on the patient's unique history. The physical examination should include an abdominal and pelvic examination, noting masses, tenderness, and the presence of hernias. The pelvic examination should include palpation of the external genitalia, the bladder base, and urethra, focusing on any areas of tenderness. The pelvic floor muscles should be palpated for locations of tenderness and trigger points. The pelvic support of the bladder, urethra, vagina, and the rectum should be documented. A focused evaluation to rule out vaginitis, urethritis, urethral diverticulum, or other potential sources of pain or infection is important. Well, where does a laboratory evaluation come in? Well, the basic laboratory examination includes a urinalysis and a urine culture. If the patient reports a history of smoking or persists with unevaluated hematometria, then cytology may be considered given the high risk of bladder cancer in smokers. Urine culture may be indicated even in patients with a negative urinalysis in order to detect lower levels of bacteria that are clinically significant but not readily identifiable on a dipstick or on microscopic exam. Cystoscopy with or without urodynamics should be considered when the diagnosis is in doubt, but these tests are not necessary for making the diagnosis in straightforward, uncomplicated presentations. There are no agreed-upon cystoscopic findings that are diagnostic for IC. However, the only consistent cystoscopic finding that leads to a diagnosis of IC is that of one or several inflammatory appearing lesions or ulcerations initially described by Hunter called the Hunter's ulcer. Glomerulations, which are pinpoint petechial hemorrhages, may be detected on cystoscopy and can be consistent with IC, but these lesions are commonly seen in other conditions which may coexist with or be misdiagnosed as IC, and these other conditions are like chronic, undifferentiated pelvic pain or even endometriosis. Bladder biopsy may be indicated to exclude other pathologies if a lesion is of uncertain nature, but remember that it's not part of the routine diagnostic process because bladder biopsy also does carry with it a small but a very real risk of perforation. That covers cystoscopy, but what about urodynamics? Well, similar to cystoscopy, there are no agreed-upon urodynamic criteria specific enough to be diagnostic for IC. Findings in IC patients are inconsistent. Bladder sensations reported during systometric bladder filling may be completely normal or markedly abnormal, and this is possibly due to the subjective nature of bladder sensory function. Pain with filling or hypersensitivity is consistent with IC, however, so pay attention to that.
Most patients will have normal feeling pressure and compliance. Now, regarding detrusor overactivity or DO, detrusor overactivity can actually be seen in up to 20% of patients with IC. This obviously makes the picture more complicated. In these cases, it can be difficult to determine whether the diagnosis is DO alone or interstitial cystitis in combination with detrusor overactivity. It's for these reasons that routine urodynamics is not part of the IC workup. However, because urgency can be one of the symptoms identified with the condition, especially if associated incontinence is present, then urodynamics may be indicated. Otherwise, urodynamics probably may confuse the picture and is not indicated for typical, routine, straightforward presentations of IC. Well, we've gotten to the end of our review, that's part one, of the pathophysiology clinical presentation and workup of interstitial cystitis, otherwise known as the bladder pain syndrome. Now, one thing we didn't cover is a quick questionnaire called the PUFF scale. That stands for pelvic pain, urgency, and frequency scale. Historically, the PUFF scale was a quick way to assess if the patient's symptoms demanded further workup for IC. There's controversy on the clinical utility of the PUFF scale, with some authorities highly recommending it as a first-pass screen, while others saying it lacks sensitivity or specificity. Nonetheless, the PUFF scale is an easy-to-access online questionnaire that if you suspect IC is worth calculating. Two scores are generated, a symptom score and a bother score. Scores are then calculated and tallied based upon the patient's responses. The higher the overall number, then the higher the probability that the patient does have IC. For more information or to download a puff scale, simply Google puff scale for interstitial cystitis and a variety of online screening tools can be done. But here's a clinical pearl. Remember, that is not a diagnostic tool and serves as a poor man's first line screen to see if further evaluation is warranted. We love having you as part of our Clinical Pearls family. Thanks for being a part of part one of interstitial cystitis. In part two, we will cover the first line all the way through to the sixth line treatment options as stated by the American Urological Association. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.